What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the show. We are rocking and rolling here with another episode of Be Shafe Daily. Welcome, welcome. I am Brendan Schaefer. As we sit here on the morning of Tuesday, February 4th, one week away, exactly seven days from Cardinals pitchers and catchers reporting to spring camp in Jupiter, Florida. I will be reporting the very following day, and I'm very excited to get down there and get going with baseball season. We got another good episode of B-Shape Daily on tap for you today, and you know, what we did yesterday, we've kind of been going through this roster, looking at different things, speculating, predicting different things that could happen with this Cardinals team as we approach opening day this season. Yesterday was the bullpen, the Monday episode. Mason sent in a good question for us about the bullpen. So we dove into that and spent the entire episode talking about it. You know, what could that bullpen look like? How could Carlos Martinez's role factor into, you know, the trickle-down effect on everything else? Plenty we don't know still right now, so a lot of this is still speculation and certainly will change as spring gets underway. Injuries start to happen. We get some clarity on some things. Plenty of things right now that we don't know, but plenty that we do know and can still talk about. And that's kind of what we're doing here. Over, we got another week of episodes where I'm interested in taking your questions, seeing what you guys would like to hear me talk about as we just kind of get into the mode of baseball season because I got to be honest with you we started this show last Monday so this would be this is episode number eight because I did kind of a bonus one on the Super Bowl on Saturday but really episode seven of baseball talk episode eight overall and uh, to be honest this couple of week period before spring training begins is has got to be the worst time of the calendar year to be talking about baseball you know that there's not really a lot going on Everything with free agency has pretty much died down now. There's still some players out there that have that have not yet been signed, but there's not necessarily an indication that all those guys are going to rush to sign this exact week right before spring training. We know in kind of the new age of, of free agency over the last few years, these matters sometimes do bleed over into spring training and sometimes into the regular season for some guys. So it's not like we're going to have a free agent rush to talk about necessarily the trade market. Most of those things have already happened. I, I know Mookie Betts, there's a lot of talk that he'll be moved by the Red Sox over the next couple of days, which honestly makes no sense because the Red Sox should be looking to contend, and he's one of their best players, but I digress. So you might get that move this week, and that would be maybe something we could talk about if he's dealt to a rival of the Cardinals in the National League. Don't think the Cardinals are in play for him. Uh, certainly would be shocked if that were to be the case. But other than that, there's not really a lot to talk about over these couple weeks, so I've been taking your questions. I'm happy when you when you guys reach out to me today. Uh, you know, we, we got some Twitter questions last night. I asked right before I went to bed. Looked at those this morning. Some good ones. And last week we did an episode that was totally based on Twitter questions. I just ran through, and it was just kind of me riffing on what you guys were asking about. I'm not going to do that today because I have one specific question that I received from my friend Brock in a, d- a direct message on Twitter, at for 12 and I'm going to kind of take his question and run with it and turn that into the entire episode today. And that's going to have us talking about a little bit of speculation on the Cardinals lineup. What could the lineup one through nine look like this season for St. Louis? You know, if we were talking in terms of pure confidence level from the fan base with regard to the what I consider the three facets, and you can even extend that to the fourth facet being defense, but lineup, starting rotation, bullpen, 
and then you could go with defense as the fourth facet, and it would still apply because I think defense might be the element of the Cardinals that fans are most confident in. But if you were to name those four and rank them, I think regardless of where you slot the other three, lineup is going to be at the bottom for most Cardinals fans, at least right now as of this moment heading into the season. Might be something I could try to work into a Twitter poll and see where you guys are at. But I think by and large, because the Cardinals haven't made any additions to their lineup, to their offense this offseason, they've lost Marcelo Zuna, they've lost Jose Martinez, and you can even count Randy Arena, the loss of uh, another outfield prospect that could have potentially had a, a positive impact on the team this year. You can go ahead and lump him in there as well. But they haven't added anybody, despite the attrition that they've experienced to this group, a group that last season was kind of middle of the pack toward the bottom of the pack, in runs scored in offensive production across not only the National League but all of Major League Baseball last season. So when you when you look at that and say, okay, it's the same group coming in this year, not a surprise that perhaps people are not too jazzed about what the lineup looks like. I'm going to run through some scenarios later on in the show kind of looking at, okay, we know that there are a few things up in the air. The lineup, I think this year – it's kind of a reason this game is kind of hard to play in 2020 because I think this season, more so than, than many of the, of the past seasons we've had recently for the Cardinals, the lineup is going to change a lot as the year goes along because at least in the last couple of years, you had Ozuna. You figured he would bat fourth. He'd be your cleanup man. For the most part, you figured Paul Goldschmidt last year would be batting third. I know he began the season batting number two, but after that, he was pretty well entrenched in the four hole. Might have batted cleanup a little bit, but for the, for the uh, pardon me, the three hole. And for the most part, that's where he was batting third. And so you had kind of these pieces that you figured would you knew where they would slot in. For many years, Matt Carpenter batted leadoff no matter what. And so I don't really think at all you have that this season. You could even make the argument that Goldschmidt is someone that's going to bounce around anywhere between two and four in the lineup. Uh, you don't have a bona fide cleanup hitter. You know, I can tell you who I think is going to start there. So what I'm going to do when, when we get to it is I'm going to give you a variety of lineups because that's what makes this fun is kind of imagining and fantasizing about what things could look like. But the main kind of differences you're going to see from lineup to lineup. One of them, who's playing third base? I think that's the number one question. We know Matt Carpenter is kind of the the incumbent that is expected to receive the go-ahead at the beginning of the year, at least, at third base. You know, he'll probably be there for opening day. So I'm going to give you kind of my ideal lineup with Carpenter as the third baseman, and then I'm going to do that with Tommy Edmond as the third baseman because Edmond ended last season playing a lot of third base. And so I, I, it'll kind of be a combination of, okay, my ideal lineup. And you'll see that I have Yadier Molina batting sixth, probably in both those lineups. And you're saying, well, ideally, wouldn't Yadi be a little lower in the lineup? He's getting up there in age. You look at his production last season. It wasn't, uh, you know, even in a, a year that was down across the board for the Cardinals lineup, he was still kind of one of the bottom producers if you look at certain metrics. And I would say, yes, I agree but I'm going to try to infuse some level of realism. When I know that Mike Schilt isn't going to bat Yadier Molina 8th, I'm not going to put Yadier Molina 8th in my, you know, fantasy lineup, even though it's partially, you know, what I would do. But I'm going to try to put the pieces together, starting with, okay, we know where Goldsmith's going to be pretty much. We know is not going to bat at the bottom. We know some things, right? And then I'm going to try to take some creative liberties to take my, a combination of my best guess at maybe the way Schilt might be thinking, 
But what I don't know what Schultz thinking, I'm going to go with what I'm thinking and what, and, and I'll explain and art- articulate why I would go in that direction. So a lineup with Carpenter at third, a lineup with Edmund at third. I'll take a shot at trying to nail Mike Schultz opening opening day lineup. Like I'll I'll go ahead and go on the line and predict what I think it'll be removed from myself and what I think it should be or could be. I'll I'll try to take a, a guess at that toward the end of the show. With the with the acknowledgement that that could change as spring goes along, but I'll take a shot at it. I, I you know I don't mind being wrong on some of these things, and when you put yourself out there and take some guesses, you're gonna be more often than not. You know, especially when you're talking about predicting something months out. So I'll take a shot at it. I don't mind, uh, and then I will go ahead and say, okay, what would my totally ideal lineup if I were making out the lineup be? And it may not be what the opening day lineup would look like, but maybe by the time you get a little bit into the season, what it could look like. So I'll go ahead and give you guys all of that later on in the show. But before I get there, I want to take a little bit of a look back at last season and kind of have a discussion of was it as bad as it seemed individually with all these players in the lineup? And could that be potentially reason for improvement if it maybe wasn't as bad as you thought? And these guys are potentially still pretty talented. So, what this conversation is going to center around is two statistics, and I want to I want to talk about it and kind of break it down a little bit because these are numbers that I use. I'll use them in my writing for KMOV. I'll use them in this podcast throughout this upcoming season. And so for people that are like, okay, what's OPS plus? What is weighted runs created plus? Like, what are these statistics? I want to try to break these down real quick and then tell you why I use them, and that'll give you an idea so then when I'm talking about Paul Goldschmidt and I say, you know, his OPS plus was 113, you'll you'll be able to know what that means if you don't already. A lot of you already probably do, but I want to just try to do for a couple minutes a quick recap of what these numbers actually mean. And then I'll go through the Cardinals numbers last year. And there's kind of an interesting difference between these two statistics. One of them didn't think the Cardinals performed as well. The other one actually had them doing pretty decent overall. So I'm going to start with OPS plus. If you use the website baseball reference, that's what you're going to see on that website. And basically that's OPS, which is on base percentage plus slugging percentage. And they take it and they normalize it across the league. They include some factors for ballparks and the differences between different parks. And they say 100 is the average for OPS plus. So if you're a point above 10, you're 101 in OPS plus, or you're 99, that would mean you're a percent above or below league average. And so it's just a way to take offense, and rather than having to use a bunch of different statistics to figure out who's the most valuable. They use this number and say OPS is pretty reliable because you've got on base. That's a good number to to count and look at. You've got slugging because that accounts for power. And we're just going to plug that in and average it out. That's kind of what OPS plus does. The other statistic, and one I like better, a lot of people like it better when they get into the sabermetric stuff, is called weighted runs created plus. And the way that will be abbreviated is a lowercase w, a capital R, a capital C, and a plus sign, WRC plus. It's the same concept as OPS plus because it's taking it, making league average 100, normalizing percentage above or below. But instead of using OPS as the basis for this formula, they use what's called weighted runs above average. Not going to dive into that, but just trust that it's a formula based on something called weighted on base average, which is a, a, a weighted formula. And at its core, it uses some complex math that it's over my head to determine the overall, you know, to, to what, what that is. But what it's doing is 
it's determining the overall value of just about anything a player can do at the plate. A walk, a hit by pitch, a single, double, triple, home run. These are all things baseball fans are familiar with. It puts that into a formula to reflect the value of each outcome. So I can understand if it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's getting too complicated for me. But if you think of it in terms of a walk is good, like baseball players, you go up to the plate, you get a walk. That's pretty good. You got on base. But you know what would be a little bit better? A single. Because if you had a runner on base and you hit a single and that guy was on second or third, he's probably scoring. And even from first, he might have been able to go from first to third. So that's a little bit better for your team overall than a walk. Whereas if you've got a guy on first, he's only getting to second. There's no chance of him going to third or the fielder making an error and maybe the guy advances on an error, something like that. But then a little better than that is a double because sometimes a double comes with guys on base and when they do... Guy on second or third, definitely scoring. And then sometimes a guy on first might even be able to score. And then with a double, you might have errors, et cetera, et cetera. By that logic, a triple is even a bit more valuable than a double. And then a home run is obviously the most valuable outcome of all because you're guaranteed to score a run. Oftentimes, you'll score more than one run. If you have anybody on base, they're scoring too. So this is all kind of the basis for weighted runs created plus. They, they do a little mathematical formula and they, you know, the better outcome a hitter can do the the more they, they value that and weight that in the formula. And then they turn all of this into a pretty little number where 100 represents league average. And if you're way above 100, that means you're way better than average. If you're way below, that means you weren't so good. You were below average. So that's kind of the quick two-minute primer on, might have been more like four minutes, but I hope you were able to, to stick with me through that. But the reason I wanted to, to discuss this is because basically if you think – of OPS plus versus weighted runs created plus. They're very similar statistics, but weighted runs created plus a little bit more into the sabermetric mind. And, 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 you know, for a lot of people, they talk about sabermetrics. It, it represents a better offensive value. And so what's interesting, when you run down the Cardinals lineup from last year, I'm going to rate this team based on OPS plus. And then I'm going to do weighted runs created plus, and you'll see there's kind of a difference that makes the Cardinals look a little bit better using one of these metrics. So I'll start with OPS plus. Tommy Edmond 120 had a very good offensive season. Goldschmidt 113, Colton Wong 106. After that, and I'm not going to talk about Jose Martinez, Marcelo Zuna because they're gone and they don't really matter going forward for this season in the Cardinals context. But after that, nobody on the Cardinals that was a regular player was above 100 in OPS+. plus. Three guys above average, Edmund, Goldschmidt, Colton Wong. Everybody else below, Dexter Fowler, 98, DeYoung, 97, Matt Carpenter, 91, Yachty, 85, and Harrison Bader was 78. So that's not that great. Only three guys returning that were above average last season or even reached league average last season. However, if you look at weighted runs created plus which, again, is thought to be a little bit better of a way to, to communicate and identify that value. Edmund was 123, Goldschmidt 116, Wong 108, Dexter Fowler 103. He goes from 98 to 103 in this metric. DeYoung 100, so he's league average rather than 97, a little bit below. Carpenter up to 95, Yachty 87, and Bader 81. So Yachty and Bader still pretty well below average last year. Carpenter just a little bit below average. DeYoung right at average and Fowler a little bit above. So weighted runs created plus, interestingly enough, rates the Cardinals a little bit better than OPS plus than traditional statistics kind of rated the Cardinals last year. 
at the end of the day, it all comes down to how many runs you score. But I just think it's kind of interesting that the advanced metrics, a little bit more advanced than OPS plus is WRC plus. And that, that rated the Cardinals a little bit better last year. So I think that's interesting. I think the Cardinals have a lot of younger guys that they're hoping will be able to jump into the lineup and produce at a 100 or maybe a 105 or 110 this season. They've got hopes that Carpenter will be above that 100. DeYoung can go up. Fowler can go up. I don't know that they should anticipate any more from Wong because he was pretty good last year at what he did, uh, led the team at on-base percentage. Goldschmidt, they probably hope, will be a little bit better too. And Edmund, if you get even close to what you got from Edmund last year, I think you're you're in for something good, especially with the versatility he brings on defense. But that's kind of a breakdown of where the Cardinals were last season in some of these statistics. And then I'm going to go into the lineup here. Real quick, though, I'm going to take a break, tell you about Anchor. And when I come back, we're jumping right into it. I'm going through the lineup, so we're going to go through it quick. And uh, no more preamble for you guys there. So coming right back after this, you're listening to B-Shape Daily. All right, guys, and we're back. Brendan Schaefer here with you. More B-Shape Daily coming your way. Appreciate you guys for sticking with me. Let's jump right into it then. We're going to talk lineup here, and I'm going to start with a lineup that could feature Tommy Edmond at third base. And in that lineup, I'm putting him right at the top, batting leadoff, with Colton Wong slotting in right behind him, batting second and playing second base. Uh, that's potentially a lefty-lefty stack at the top of your lineup, and the Cardinals have tried to avoid that in the past when we talked about Carpenter and Wong potentially going 1-2. But what I think would be interesting about this is with Tommy Edmond having the ability to switch hit, if you've got a lefty on the mound, he's going he's gonna to bat right-handed, and then you go right-left-right with Goldschmidt batting third. But if it's a righty on the mound the lefty-lefty stack is beneficial because you've got more lefties facing that righty. So, you know, let them try to go ahead and bring in a lefty to face them both. They're not going to get the stack that way because Edmund can just turn around and bat right-handed. So I like that kind of a way to at least artificially have some good balance throughout the lineup. Uh, but when you have a, a, a righty on the mound, boom, you've got two lefties, and that's kind of to your advantage. Uh, okay, so Goldschmidt batting third. I think What's probably going to happen is Paul DeYoung batting fourth to begin the year, but it won't take much for Tyler O'Neill if he's your starting left fielder, to be thrown in there. We've seen Mike Schilt put O'Neill right into the, the thick of things when he has played in the past, and so I could see if O'Neill is playing on a regular basis and you know he's out there in left field, he pops a home run or two in, over a few games' time, I could see O'Neill then getting some more opportunity in that cleanup spot. I think your lineup is better if DeYoung is in more of a five or six spot, but I don't know that the Cardinals have that luxury right now. We've talked about it. They just don't have a bona fide cleanup hitter. But when you look at that, those runs created plus metrics that I gave you right before the commercial break, you had five outfielders, pardon me, you had five players last season at league average or better. Fowler, DeYoung, Wong, Goldschmidt, Edmund. If you've got all those guys in the lineup and maybe Edmonds in the outfield and you can put Carpenter in there and boom, he's able to improve just a little bit on what he did last year. Suddenly that lineup is looking a lot deeper, even though you don't have kind of the, the punch and the heart of the order that you wish you had. You don't have an Arenado and, and you don't even at this point have an Ozuna or someone that has proven that they can be Ozuna. Uh, I think Lane Thomas, I think O'Neill, I think Dylan Carlson. I think one of these guys could do that. But you don't have it now, and so I can understand the skepticism from Cardinals Nation. But if I'm looking at a lineup, Edmund Wong, 
Goldschmidt. Going to put DeYoung at number four for now and say whoever my left fielder is, probably batting fifth. I feel comfortable with O'Neal in that spot. Lane Thomas could be in that spot. And Dylan Carlson, I'll talk about him more in a little bit, but if he gets the opportunity out of spring and he's your left fielder, I think him batting fifth would be fine. I think you could bat him second. Uh, you know, you could bat him higher in the lineup if he's the player that we all think he can be. But I'm starting, and this is clear with my lineup right now, and there's a reason that this probably won't be the lineup you'll see, as I'll get to in a moment. I'll go ahead and tell you, Yachty batting sixth, as I mentioned, I don't think he's going to be any lower than number six. But then again, the guy I have at number seven, that might not be realistic either. I have Dexter Fowler batting seventh and playing right field. And I don't know how realistic that is, but to me, it's absolutely foolish if you start this season by burying Colton Wong in the bottom of the lineup rather than have him up there in in the leadoff spot or at number two as one of the table setters because he led the team in on-base percentage last season. He was one of the better offensive performers on the team. You know, got him above Carpenter in the lineup. I'll have him above Dexter Fowler in the lineup, above Bader, above Yachty above whoever plays left field. I want Wong batting before all those guys because he he's better offensively than all those guys last season. Each and every one of them, Wong had a better season by just about any statistic you want to look at. So I, I, I don't know if it's realistic to think Fowler would be seventh. It might be more plausible that Edmund would slide down in the lineup and maybe Fowler would bat number two. Wong could bat number one. Uh, because especially when you when you get into opening day and talk about veterans and you know kind of the the getting the benefit of the doubt that may be where they begin. But I would be really kind of irked if Wong doesn't get that benefit of the doubt, especially considering he just did it. Like he's the guy that actually went out and performed and had a really strong offensive season, led the team in OBP. I want to see him in one of those top two spots, and so. How realistic is that? I mean, that's kind of where he was late last season. He proved that he can handle it. I think I'm going to go ahead and, and say, you know, whether he does or not, I think Schultz should trust Wong in that spot. I think I'm tend to inclined to believe that he will, but I just don't know how that functions with Edmund and where he would go in uh, behind him. But then I'd have Harrison Bader ninth or eighth. Pardon me, Harrison Bader would be number eight. So Edmund, Wong, Goldschmidt, DeYoung, O'Neill, or Thomas. Yachty, Fowler, Bader to wrap things up at 7-8. and eight. That's just an example. Now, here's what it could look like if you had Matt Carpenter in the lineup at third base. And again, I'm inclined to think that maybe with Carpenter at third, you're going to see some Tommy Edmond in left field. So this is where I kind of gave an alternate look and said, okay, you could have Wong batting leadoff, Fowler number two, or you could even go with the Fowler-Wong combo. So that way you do have the same situation with a switch hitter batting leadoff, a lefty batting number two. So let's go Fowler-Wong-Goldschmidt, DeYoung. I'm going to put Carpenter at number five. Yachty, Tommy Edmond batting 7th, and Bader batting 8th. So basically, I kept Edmond in. I switched him with where Fowler is in the lineup. I moved Fowler up to the top two, move Edmond down to number 7. I slide Carpenter right in where the left fielder would have been, um, but in this case, the left fielder is going to be Edmond, so you can have Carpenter playing 3rd and batting 5th. I, I don't know necessarily whether they'd go Carpenter batting cleanup. Certainly Carpenter of 2018 would have been a perfectly fine cleanup hitter because he hit a lot of home runs. He, he did a lot of everything. You could also, I could, I wonder if they would go Carpenter batting third and move Goldschmidt to cleanup. I, I don't think that's a very necessarily sabermetrically inclined lineup. But then again, they say your number two hitter should be your best hitter. 
and the three the three spot is a little bit overvalued as far as you know modern baseball if you're putting your guy number three that you think is your absolute stud like albert always batted third for the cardinals when he was here in st louis because he's your best hitter a lot of times now they say number two should be your best hitter depending on uh you know how you look at the saber metrics and things like that i tend to still appreciate your best hitter being in the three spot and so maybe goldschmidt batting cleanup would just be you get into the middle of the season guys are slumping you want to mix things up I wonder how Matt Carpenter would handle batting third and then having some protection from Goldschmidt in the cleanup spot. I do feel like I'd be comfortable with that because I think they've got, at the top of the lineup, guys like Wong, and if Edmund's going well, if Fowler can bounce back a little bit more than he did last year to to kind of even raise that on-base percentage even a bit more. In that case, you'd have two guys at the top that you really trust with on-base percentage, and then you could have Carpenter think not Carpenter of 2019, but if Carpenter bounces back, because look, if he doesn't bounce back, he's not going to be in the lineup for long. You, you talk about the early May. If we're looking at Carpenter having another, you know, bad season, he's going to be phased out more and more as the season goes along. So I'm assuming with this that six weeks into the season, Carpenter has an OPS of 775 or 750, you know, at least comparable to the bounce back we saw from Dexter Fowler last season when his OPS was able to get above 750. So I'm thinking Carpenter, if he has a better season and can be somewhat between where he was in 2019 and where he was in 2018, he could still be a valuable member of the offense. And if he's in the lineup, that could be an interesting dynamic to to put him right there in the thick of things. Because what it does do, if he's able to perform, now you're able to slide the young down to number five. You're able to have some more strength at the bottom of your lineup. So I think that could be kind of interesting. But generally, my lineup with Carpenter has Wong, Fowler, Goldschmidt, or you could flip-flop Fowler and Wong, as I mentioned. So Fowler, Wong, Goldschmidt, DeYoung, Carpenter, Molina, Edmund, and still Harrison Bader at number eight. That's another guy. If Bader's not performing six weeks into the season for as good as his defense can be and is, what if you've got Dylan Carlson by then that is playing well? You're going to put him into the lineup somewhere, let's say left field. Now, if you want Tommy Edmonds still in there, maybe he's playing center field. Maybe Lane Thomas has come on strong and he's in center field. And that could really allow your lineup to look a lot longer if you're somebody who right now keeps hearing Bader batting eighth and you're like, my goodness, that's not something that it's very attractive to me because I remember he hit 205 last year. But again, the Cardinals are counting on him being better. So if he is better, he'll be in the lineup. If he's not, he won't be. And it'll be Lane Thomas or somebody else batting in that spot. And then you might have a little bit more confidence in what the lineup could look like. But a lot of this is got to be, you got to have to buy into what the Cardinals are selling. And if you don't, yeah, you think the lineup sucks right now. And I can understand that. But the beauty of this is we're going to find out one way or the other, either you're going to be right or they're going to be right. And then we're going to know. And if you were right, you'll be able to complain about it all season long because they haven't added anybody and they still won't be able to. You could look at July and then they'll be in the market for an impact bat. Who knows? Maybe that's when the Arenado trade rumors will come swirling once again because it seems like that's what happens every six months. Anyway, what I'm going to do next is give you my prediction for what Mike Schultz opening day lineup is going to look like. So this has nothing to do with what I think should happen I'm just trying to predict what will happen in this case. And I'm going to run through this real quick, and then we'll get to the next one on the docket. I'm going to go Dexter Fowler batting leadoff, playing right field. It could easily be Carpenter, but I'm going to predict it'll be Fowler. Colton Wong batting second. Goldschmidt third. DeYoung fourth. Matt Carpenter will be fifth. 
playing third base. Yadier Molina behind the plate batting sixth. Tommy Edmond will be your left fielder batting seventh. Harrison Bader will bat eighth and play center field. That's what I predict. I think that might not be your lineup on a regular basis. I don't think Edmond's going to play the outfield every day. But when they want to get him into that first lineup, they want to give him credit for what he did last season. But they want to put Fowler up at the top because he's the veteran. So they're going to they're gonna put Edmund in the lineup but a little bit lower. But you're not going to not have Carpenter in your opening day lineup. So that's the way I, I see it shaking out. Fowler, Wong, Goldie, DeYoung, Carpenter, Molina, Edmund, Bader. You heard it here first. And now I want to, before I get out of here, give you, I said I would, my lineup. If I were going, my ideal lineup, what I would do removed from reality, removed from what I think is going to happen with Mike Schilt, whatever the case would be. And that's going to be with a little bit of a caveat because I'm going to say what I said all along, and it's something that I will preach very frequently over the course of the next month plus as we're getting deep into spring training, as we're watching some of these young guys perform. And that's this. If Dylan Carlson comes into spring camp, he's getting at bats in games, he's performing well, I don't see any way you leave him off the opening day 25-man roster. I don't really care about the service time. I don't really care about any of those other things. We talked about it with the bullpen yesterday. It's frustrating when you see that one of the best 25, or in this case, starting this year, one of the best 26, when you look at a reliever and say, you know, let's say Junior Fernandez lights it up with an ERA of 1.2 in spring training, but they have to send him to AAA because you've got John Gant and Tyler Webb and they're out of options. And let's say they both have mediocre springs and you're thinking, man, I'd really rather have Junior Fernandez. It sucks, but the reality of the way they do it these days and the the reality of it's not even service time, but it's just retaining assets and players that you want to be able to protect they're going to put the guys that are out of options on that roster first to give them the opportunity. The more proven guys are going to have that the benefit of that doubt. In the case of Dylan Carlson, though, I wouldn't be a fan of you doing that because some of these guys that you have competing with Carlson for potentially that left field job, Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, these are guys that do have options remaining. So, you know, I would understand why the Cardinals would want to go ahead and and see what they have in both those guys and, and get them on the roster and get them playing. But if they're being outplayed by Dylan Carlson in spring, I, I don't really care about anything else. That's a starting spot in your lineup. That's the spot that occupied your cleanup hitter last season. I'm bringing up Dylan Carlson from day one, and I'm penciling him into left field on a daily basis if he proves in spring that he's worthy of that. It's not a risk to lose Tyler O'Neill because, in theory, you could send him down. Not a risk to lose Lane Thomas because, in theory, you could send him down. And you, these guys are not guys that would have to go through waivers. And so, and even Harrison Bader, if it comes down to it, you know, maybe Bader's not performing. In theory, you could send him down once more as well. This is all according to roster resource. And maybe Lane Thomas becomes your starting center fielder. Like, there are different things that can happen. But end of the day, bottom line, if Carlson is performing in spring, I think he needs to be there when the season begins. And if he's not... I'll be talking about it on here. I'll be writing about it. I think that would be a mistake. But right now, I'm going to give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt to say, I think they know what they have in him. I think they know the lay of the land in this outfield matrix and which guys they're kind of, you know, they say, hey, it's going to be a competition. And it is. But I think in their head, they've got the guys they're kind of leaning toward already. And I wrote about this earlier in the offseason. 
my presumption is that they're leaning toward Lane Thomas a little bit more than you might think, even though Tyler O'Neill's been there. He's going to have the the I've, I've been here longer benefit that he'll get, and, and he's going to have a chance to prove himself. But I think when you get into May and June and the Cardinals' offense really starts to kind of gel and come together, that could look like Lane Thomas. That could look like Dylan Carlson. The Cardinals are going to give these other guys an opportunity before they do Carlson if they're playing well. But if Carlson outplays these other guys in spring, I think I think I'm going to give the Cardinals the benefit of the doubt and say they're going to go ahead and put him on that roster. Now time is only going to tell, and if I'm wrong, you'll hear me talking about that, you know, late March when when it all comes down to it. But for right now, that's my caveat is that with my lineup I'm about to present to you, I'm going to say Carlson does have that spring and and, and I want him to. I'd like to see him do well, and he'd be in my lineup opening day if that were the case. I'd go this way. I'd go Colton Wong batting leadoff. I'd go Dylan Carlson batting second and playing left field from the from the start of the whole darn thing. Because remember, this is my fantasy lineup removed of any real-world restrictions on what I think is most likely to happen. I'm throwing Carlson right into the mix there at number two. I'll go Goldschmidt at batting third. I'll Now, this next part, I, honest to goodness, Carpenter and Edmund are a toss-up for me. If Carlson's in the lineup, one of the two of Carpenter and Edmund aren't going to be is the way I look at this. And so I'm going to say I really don't have a preference because I do tend to believe Carpenter's going to be improved this year, and I really like Tommy Edmund. So what I'm what I'm looking at is if Carpenter's in there, I'm batting him clean up, and I'm batting DeYoung fifth. If Edmund is in there, I'm batting DeYoung clean up, and I'm batting Edmund fifth. So it's either Carpenter DeYoung or DeYoung Edmund in my ideal world lineup. And then I'd go ahead and put Fowler sixth, Molina seventh, and Bader eighth. I, I could even be inclined to put Molina number six, if only because I think batting right behind that three four five, he could still have some RBI opportunities. He, he even if he's not the best producer overall in your lineup, I think in clutch situations I still like him there. And then you could have Fowler and Bader at the bottom to kind of you know be able to do a little running and do a little interesting stuff. I, I don't love the idea of Molina being on base directly ahead of Bader because I want B- Bader to be able to use his speed this season. So we'll see. But in general, I like the idea of something that looks like Wong, Carlson, Goldschmidt, DeYoung, Edmund, Molina, Fowler, Bader, or we could go Wong, Carlson, Goldschmidt, Carpenter, DeYoung, Molina, Fowler, Bader. Uh, I think Tommy Edmonds going to play a ton. I think Matt Carpenter is going to play plenty. It's just going to have to, you know, that's why I said at the beginning of this, it's really hard to look at this season and put together a lineup that you think is going to be out there every day because it's just not going to happen. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. I think six weeks from the start of the season, we're going to know a lot more than we do today because we're going to have an idea of how those incumbents perform. That's the word I've been using, incumbents. Because to me, in center field, Bader is the incumbent. He's going to get every opportunity to lose that job. He's going to have to play. He's going to have to do well. But he's going to get an extended leash before he loses it. The same thing with Fowler, Dexter Fowler in right field. And to me, it's the same thing with Matt Carpenter at third. They might be, you know, for a day at a time, a day or two a week, they might leave the lineup because you've got to find ways to get Edmund in there. And they're going to have to be creative about doing that. But they'll still be viewed as the starters at those positions until such time that they don't perform and they lose those jobs. I don't know if six weeks is the window. It might be more like four weeks for some of them. But I think by the time you get to mid-May, 
at the very latest, you're saying, okay, are these guys performing? If not, we're going to start to have to gradually make some changes to to the lineup. Because you saw last year Carpenter didn't really play a lot at the end, but they waited a long time before getting to that point. If Carpenter has another similar start to the season, I don't think they're going to be able to wait nearly as long this year as they did last year before making a move. So I appreciate you guys for joining me today. That's going to about do it for this episode of B-Shape Daily. Once again, I've got tweets out there. I've got direct messages on on Twitter. I've got Facebook.com slash B-Shaper12 where I post different things on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm B-Shaper12 everywhere you look. I'm B-Shaper12 on here and on Twitter. Give me a follow at one of those places. Send me a message. Send me a voice message if you'd like, and it'll be aired on the podcast as we did yesterday with Mason. Uh, Let me know what you guys would like to hear me talk about, and I'll try to do my best to do that. And then once we get into spring training next week, we're going to have new storylines. Things will be going on every day, and I'm really excited to keep you guys updated with all of that as it develops down at camp in Jupiter, Florida. I'm going to sign off for today once more. This has been B-Shafe Daily. Appreciate you guys for joining me, and we will talk to you tomorrow.